up next on Inside the SCCA, going fast at Hallett Motor Racing Circle. Welcome to the latest episode of Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Bolanski, and uh, tonight we've got a very, very special guest. He is six-time SCCA Runoffs National Championship champion, Jesse Prather. Jesse, welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Brian. Coming to us all the way from Topeka, Kansas. And uh, we've got you on the show today for a lot of reasons. One, because I think there's probably not very many people out in the world who have more laps at Hallett than you do. And uh, we're going to get to that and talk about what uh, we're going to expect this weekend at uh, at Hallett Motor Racing Circuit. I always want to call it Hallett Motor Speedway. Did it used to be Hallett that? Motor, Hallett Motor Racing Circuit, okay. I think, is what it's been for a long time. All right. See what I know? I guess I gotta get it. I better get that straight before I get to Hallett this weekend. So, um, looking forward to it. The one good news I, I can share about Hallett before we get into talking here with Jesse is that uh, I looked at the forecast, and unlike most of the Super Tours this year, at the moment, knock on wood, the forecast is dry. Um, it's not going to be terribly warm, <laughs> um, but dry is better than than wet. <laughs> so. so- for anybody that's ever been to Hallett, they know that it's generally windy, but when you look at the forecast for this weekend, it looks like it's going to be sunny and 60, and for those of us that have been going there for 20 or 30 years, those are about the best conditions <laughs> we can ask for this time of year. So, so I've been there when we've been in tornado watches, severe thunderstorms. Right. The wind's blowing 100 miles an hour, you know. So it, the the weather looks primo for a spring Hallett race. Cool. Well, that's good to know. I look forward to being there and checking that out. We'll talk a lot more about that uh, in just a bit. We start every show uh, with a simple question, and uh, so we will do that this, this show as well. Um, and that is, how did you get mixed up in this crazy sport that we love? Oh, geez. Well, we're going to have to go way, way back into the 70s to get this party started. Okay. So my parents will say that they used to hand me up through the vent in the RV and put my um, little rocker on top of the RV at Summit Point Raceway in West Virginia in 1977. So... Uh, I've grown up around road racing and I've grown up in the SCCA, um, born in Falls Church, Virginia. My, my dad started, uh, an auto repair shop, uh, in, uh, just South of DC, uh, a couple of different places, um, born in Falls Church. He had a, had a shop in Potomac Mills mainly. And anyway, um, so he raced his MGA and we went to Summit Point, West Virginia for the races. That's what we did. And so I grew up going to Summit Point and we used to go to Watkins Glen and Pocono. This was after VIR originally had been closed. So we went to Virginia International Raceway. That wasn't really a thing in the 80s. Um, but, uh, we don't, we went to Charlotte and they ran on the oval there. We went to Pocono, we went to Watkins Glen and Summit Point. And if my dad really wanted to travel, he would go over to Nelson Ledges in Ohio, but that was about as far as we went until the runoffs, which of course, as everybody knows, back in those days was road Atlanta. Right. Exactly. Atlanta forever. So your, your dad has at least one national championship, right? My dad is an eight-time national champion. That's what champion. I thought. Okay. Yeah. So he won six national championships in his MGA. Got it. In G production. Oh, that's why I didn't see it because we don't have G production anymore. So when I ran Correct. through, yeah, I we didn't don't go have to G the production anymore. Yeah, when I went through the media guide before we got together, I I didn't look at the production classes that are no longer production classes. Um, and then he's got one in one of the either effort or, or E, right? So he has two in GT Life. Okay, that's what it is. Okay. 
It's kind of an interesting story because the the two championships that he won in GT Light, and I can't remember the the years exactly. Uh, it was at Elkhart Lake in the late, let's call it 2010, 2011, something like that. Sure. Uh, we're in the Miata that I won my first three national championships in. Okay. So that car is a whole nother story of mm-hmm. how it was built. What, if you want to get into that, we can, if you have an extra 15 minutes, but anyway, my dad is a, my dad is a production racing legend and, uh, won his first national championship in 1986 when they had a monstrous crash at the beginning of the G production race and then uh, started continuing to develop his car with the same MGA that he still owns to this day and uh, developed and developed and developed and won his second one in 1990. And then as G production developed, he continued to, you know, push the car and, and won a, a few others. Like I said, he won six national championships in the MGA and then, uh, and then a couple more in the Miata. And then you've got your first four in the Miata, and then you won two in the BMW, right? So actually, my first three were in the Miata. Okay. So it's kind of an interesting story. Um, in 2000, I'm going to, and of course, you have to realize this is almost 20 years ago. <laughs> About 19 years ago, a fellow by the name of Chris Bubbles, who anybody who's been racing GT Light knows that name. Mm-hmm. Chris Bobas came to us when I was working with my dad at Breather Racing, and he says, I think we should build an F production Miata. And we built this car out of a 300,000 mile streetcar. Maybe not the best car to start from, <laughs> but the car is still running to this day and has been very successful. And Chris ran the car for a year or two and then realized that he was more of a front-wheel drive guy. And I was right in the middle of thinking, I want to go and run F-Production in a Miata. And rather than build one, what I did was I bought the car back from Chris Bovis sure. in 2006. I believe, I believe I bought it from him in June of 2006, Went down to Hallett. They used to have what they called the Firecracker Grand Prix, 4th of July, um, in July, and, and went down there and started getting qualified for the runoffs that year. And there was a guy by the name of John Serino. And if you know the Serino name, you probably know his kids maybe more than you know him, but the old man is quite the wheel man. And, uh, John and I had some good races that year, and and uh, he was actually on the pull at the runoffs. And anyway, won my first national championship in F production in 06, backed it up in 07. Um, but I like to say in 06, John actually broke, and I had an awesome race against <laughs> legendary Steve Sargis in 2006. Okay. And then the next year, Brian Lynn came out with a midget, and I had an awesome race with Brian Lynn in 07. And at that point, I was really starting to build my F production Miata genre. Right. And so I felt like it was time to move on. So I built an 1800 CC engine and moved the car from F production to E production in, in 08 and had an awesome race with the late great Tom Thrash in 2008. And uh, so that those were my first three in a row. So, then, so, so go ahead. that Miata, if, if that must be one of the first production Miatas, because for years, you know, the Miatas and, and the newer cars weren't allowed in production. Uh, the, that rule change came to China. I think, you know, I thought the thought process on that was trying to kind of revive production classes. Um, which were having some problems because a lot of the cars were older and hard to find parts for, and and I think this was the idea in that. So was that one of the first Miatas in production? So I have to give a shout-out to the guys that actually built the very early production cars uh, when it came to Miatas and F-Production. 
not one of the very first, but probably one of the first six or seven. Sure, sure. Um, you know, Mason Workman was a very early uh, contributor to F production. Um, Pratt Cole actually built one, which is now Sam Henry's car. We can talk about F production Miatas of old, like they're vintage cars, because literally these guys have been building and racing these cars for 20 years now. Sure. It was one of the early cars for sure. Uh, but I, I, I feel like it was the first car to, and there's no question, it was the the very, very first F production Miata to win a national championship right. in 06 right. and in 07. Those were the first two national championships that we got with Mazda in a, in a Miata. Obviously, there's been many more since then, but uh, it, it was an early adopter. And uh, Taz Harvey races that car in F production to this day. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, you know, th there's a lot of guys out there who've got multiple national championships as a driver. There's a lot of people out there who've got multiple national championships as a car builder or an engine builder. Um, you and your dad have multiple national championships as all of that. And, and it's kind of a unique story. Um, and your family's influence on production racing in the Sports Car Club of America is just undeniably huge. What's it kind of feel like to be that big a part of this community? Well, you know, initially when I was first coming onto the scene and trying to be a production race car driver, I literally was trying to live up to my dad's legacy. Um, and that was, you know, in my early days. So I, you have to realize I didn't start racing until I was in my 20s. But my dad has been a production car racing legend since the 80s. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we, we've been a bit of a, a production racing family for a long time. Um, but when I really started to focus on the Mazda program is when I knew that it was time for me to kind of do my own thing. Um, I learned a lot from my dad, and I, I have, will always publicly and privately thank him for everything that I've learned from him. Um, but when I when I went out on my own, you know, I started developing things in kind of in my own way of thinking, um, and I think I think that he'd be very proud about that, um, or that he is very proud about that. He he uh, had his way of doing things, and as a father working with his son, I kind of had my own way of doing things. And so, eventually, it was time for us to to uh, to separate and and for me to do my own thing. So, in in '09, when I opened up the new business, my goal was to you know continue to develop and and not necessarily to keep on the Prather name, but to to do what I wanted to do. And, and I am so thankful for um, all of my customers that have believed in me over the years and, and all of the development and all the people that have helped me. You cannot, like, people look at me and think, you know, look at what he's done. No successful person does this on their own. Exactly. I have a wonderful wife that supports me in life. And I'll tell you what, she's probably the most important part of it, you know, to give me support and love and, and acceptance. And then on top of that is all my customers. And most of them are friends. And uh, so we've just continued to build the brand. And, uh, you know, with, with the introduction of social media over the last I don't know, 10 years, probably more. I was kind of a late bloomer when it came to social media, but always trying to, you know, educate people and, and help whenever I can. And so, yeah, it, it's been a, it's been a great ride and, it, and it's my, it's my goal in life to continue to help all of my guys and, and continue to develop and, and keep the JPM brand all the way at the top. So, 
what's the dynamic of when you're at the racetrack and racing against your customers when you're as good as you are? <laughs> does it does it ever, is that ever an issue with your customers? So that's a really good question, and it's the initial reason why I got out of F production in 2007 was because we were really, you know, I, I had developed this car into something that was really good, and I didn't want to race against the customers anymore. And then in 08, didn't really have any customers in e-production back in 2008. And so I'm like, well, let's develop something else. And let's try and take that to the next level. And then after that, and honestly, it, it's going to kind of sound like a, a strange thing, but when I when I opened up Jesse Prather Motorsports, that was my focus. And so Mazda actually hired me to do this development project on a brand new 2010 NC for e-production. And that was a four to five year development process that took a pretty much took took me out of a front running position during the development phase. What, These cars cool. now are very well developed and, and they're very good, but um, I've always attempted to stay out of my customers' classes if I can. So moving forward, like when I when I purchased this BMW Let's go back a little bit. I continued to run e-production, and then I built the, the RX-7, the first-gen RX-7. But that was a tribute car that I built with my buddy Don Christman, the Mazda Godfather. Hmm. And that was a tribute car to Tom Thrash. Okay, gotcha. So I, did that, so I spent five years developing the NC, and then I built the RX-7 as a tribute car. It was more of a tribute car than anything else. Bought it from Paul Penider in Texas. Um, and then after that, it was like time, okay, let's do something that I think we can actually dominate with. And that's when the BMW came along. And I'd raced against the, the, this particular BMW for years. And I always thought to myself, this car has serious potential i think it just needs to be taken up to the next level and so after i purchased the car brought the car to the shop got it on the dyno kind of saw what we were working with did some development and i actually ended up blowing up the engine that came with the car in the second weekend at the june sprints that year so that would have been 2019 and uh took the engine apart, and that's when I realized we've got potential here. Yeah. So I built my own engine that year for the 2019 runoffs, and nobody knew what was coming that year. Nobody but me and my dyno, because it was ridiculous. Yeah. So over these last few years, I've been doing really well in e-production, obviously. But it's time for me to get out of that. I actually have the car rented this year to Greg Ira, a good friend and a uh, two-time national champion. And the car's for sale. So looking for somebody that wants to get into literally the best e-production car in the country. And I'm going to move on to something else, a class I've never run in. And we're not going to reveal that tonight. Is that different from what you're going to run in at Hallett? Correct. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on my best Mike Wallace impersonation and try to beat it out of you here. <laughs> Never happened. I'm, I'm too good at this. When you're ready to reveal it, will you come back on the podcast? You bet. All I'd right. love to. That's awesome. What do you enjoy more, working on developing a car or driving a race car fast? I'll tell you what I enjoy the most is seeing my cars and my engines and my customers succeed. You take a look at any of my post runoffs win interviews, and I'll say it every time. I get the most enjoyment out of seeing a car that I built or an engine that I built or a friend and customer that I've helped come along win a championship 
way more than I see than I enjoy winning myself. That's awesome. That I mean, when you I've been when in victory lane with a customer on the podium with tears in my eyes. Yeah, that's fantastic. You'll never see that when I win. Um, on the build side, is is the is your secret sauce in the motors, or is your secret sauce in developing the the, the setup in the cars? All of the above. I'm, he's not revealing any sauce. secrets tonight, folks. <laughs> the, the, the secret sauce is in the build from scratch. The secret sauce is where you start from the bottom. Um, it's in the chassis. It's in the suspension. It is in the engine. It is in drivetrain friction. It is in tuning. It is in camshaft development. And I can go on and on. So it's it's any successful car slash engine builder will tell you the same thing. It's it's not one thing. And and you can have the best car and not be able to get it done because you don't know how to set the car up or you don't know how to drive it to its potential. It's it, it's a little bit of everything. And the most successful people, especially in club racing, I feel surround themselves with people that can help them in things that maybe they're not the best at. Right. Right. I'm certainly not the best at everything. I've learned from a thousand different people. And I have taken a little bit of everything from all of them and developed a process that has worked very successfully over the years. But I learned to this day, right. every day I, I had Mike Taylor today um, on my dyno. Mike Taylor runs an STL Honda and he runs a Megasquirt 3 Pro. And he was showing me how they do... Um, diagnostics on how the Megasquirt downloads data every time the ignition is on. And you can see all sorts of finite data. You know, back in the old days, people would build a hot motor and blast down the straights. Right, right. Well, that's not getting it done these days. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean. And everything from, you know, and don't get me wrong. Where the rubber meets the road makes a big difference too. You have to have good tires and you have to have good brakes and you have to stay on top of your car. I'm, I, I've said this for years. You probably need to spend, if you want to be really, really successful in even a good club racing effort, you need to spend six to 10 hours on your car for every hour that you get on the track. Sure. And that may see a little, seem a little swayed, but it's, how we succeed we do not let our cars sit right, right. they are constantly prepped you know i i get a lot of people asking me questions because they know i've been doing this for a long time and i've i've been i've built some cars and i've driven some cars and i've worked on lots of cars and you know when people are trying to get started in the sport they ask me how to get started and, and my first my first advice is always to you know until you you know you've got as my my dear late friend G. Dub Henderson would say, "The passion." Until you know you've got the passion, rent somebody's car, and and know you want to do this. Um, and and then we always hear the advice, you know, buy a car that's sorted, which is also it's good advice, especially if you don't have a lot of technical knowledge. But I think that the best club racers are the ones that build their car from the ground up. And get advice from people like you, and 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 learn along the way. Um, but I find that the most successful drivers, the most successful cars, are typically the cars that the person who built them knows every little nook and cranny of that car, and knows all the development that's gone into it. And and that's where the success comes from. Well, let me give you let me give you an alternative motive to that. So I did not build this BMW originally. What I did is I took a car that I felt was a good basis and I developed it. This is a very much a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. And if you want to build a car from scratch for yourself, I think that's great. And we can build 
awesome race cars doing that. Odds are, depending on your financial situation, you can buy a fantastic car for probably about half what it would cost to build from scratch, spend some time developing, and have a really good piece. But you really need to know, you need to be able to trust someone. Like if you buy a car that I built, and even if you bought it from a customer of mine, you can call me, we can talk about, you know, the history of the car, the history of the chassis, the history of the engine and transmission and differentials and shocks. And I think the key is knowledge, really. Sure. So you're not wrong saying that some of the most successful guys have built their cars from scratch. And I think that's a great thing. Personally, I don't have time anymore with all of the customers that I have and a family life to build a car from scratch for myself. So I prefer to develop at this point for myself. Right. right. But for someone who's looking to get into racing, first of all, I would suggest that you're absolutely right. I think you should rent like a spec Miata, go to a driver's school, experience what's happening. You know, um, there are great prep shops in this country that can help you out, whether it's a spec Miata, whether it's a Formula B, whether it's an SRF3, whatever. You know, if you're interested in racing, test the waters first before absolutely. you get both feet absolutely. wet, right? I think that's a great thing to, and then if you end up getting into that, you're going to develop relationships with different people and those people are going to send you to different places and everybody's journey is different. So it, it, it's, it's a unique dynamic for sure. Yeah, definitely. There's so many different routes to do it. Um, I've seen people be successful doing it in a lot of different ways. Um, the nice thing I enjoyed about building a car myself, and I probably wouldn't do it again like you said, for time and, and purposes and money. And, and, and when I tell people to build a car themselves, I let them know it's not the cheapest way to do it by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, but if you're, you know, not a lot of kids these days, and even in my generation, grew up building cars. So by doing it yourself, you learn how to become a mechanic and how to fix things. And, and there's a great um, learning process there. Um, so I, so I, one point I wanted to say, Brian, on that. Sure. Before, before we move on real quick. I have gotten used to over the last 10 years having guys call me and say, I want to build a car that can win the runoffs. Okay. You know, open checkbooks or whatever. You are absolutely right that you can absolutely build a car in your garage with some knowledge from not only people like me, but other builders all over the country. In develop this car into something over time. You absolutely do not have to jump into a super serious situation. That's just where I'm at these days sure. as a builder, but absolutely. So I get emails pretty much every day with guys looking for suggestions. What can I do? What? Where can we go with this car, you know? Can you help us with shocks? Will you help us with an oil pan baffle plate? Will you help us with even simple stuff? You know, I'm happy to help all the time. So how, uh, how many I, times? I think sometimes guys get very standoffish with me and maybe some of the other big builders thinking that we're not just normal people, but I'm a totally normal guy. Yeah. Um, call me anytime. You know, send me an email, look me up, Jesse Prather Motorsports.com. It's it's easy to find me. So happy to help. How many times has a customer come to you and said, I'm I'm building this car, help me finish this car. I can't I can't figure it out anymore. Here, I'm gonna give you my bucket of parts and then I want it back when you're done with it. So depending on the car, I'm good with it. Like if you bring you could probably bring me uh, a Miata completely disassembled to the bare chassis and uh, a 55 gallon drum with all the nuts and bolts and mixed up in a tumble <laughs> and dump them out on the floor and I can sort them for you. So these days I specialize. Yeah. 
but I get a lot of that. I know what you're saying. Um, they get started and they get in maybe a little over their head and they're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You know, let's get some help. But, you know, and that's what I do sure. oftentimes. And that's what a lot of guys do. So, Jesse Prather, six-time national champion is our guest. And uh, if you add up your driving championships and your customers' championships, what's the number? Do you have the number? Oh, I don't have the number, but it's probably like 30. Wow. I mean, that's, it's the best advertising you've ever gotten, Jesse. <laughs> just, just roll out so, this. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I try to, I, and I'm a very humble person oh, and, and I'm so blessed by everything that, that God has given me in life. And, and, uh, like I said, it, I am more blessed by my customers' successes than I am. And, uh, I'm a normal person, man. I, I work hard at what I do. As it turns out, I'm good at what I do, but I never take anything for granted. And, and I love my customers and I love, I love doing what I do. So let's, um, let's transition. And, and I think you're going to come back on a podcast down the road and we're just going to talk about building stuff and, and having fun and, and your, 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 your book of knowledge as much as you'll share with us. Uh, without giving away too many secrets could be just a ton of fun. So uh, let's, let's do that um, down the road. But we, we, one of the big reasons why we brought you here is, is we're doing a preview before every super tour this year of uh, what it takes to get around a particular racetrack quickly. Uh, being in Topeka, you're, you're what? Two hours, three hours from Hallett. Not even that, right? No, it's uh if if you're hauling the mail, it's four or four and a half. Okay, close enough to but be. But it's not far. No, no. So I mean, Heartland Park is two miles from my shop. Everything else is a minimum of four and a half or five. Got it. So got it. So needless to say, though, you've got a lot of laps around Hallett, right? I don't know how many thousands. Got it. But here's <laughs> something happening. We'll get to this, and then we'll get to Hallett itself. You and another multiple national champion, uh, Mr. Eric Prill are going to to to, uh, to to Hallett this weekend in something completely foreign to what you guys are used to doing. Tell us what yeah. you're doing this weekend. So, and I've been saying this for years, I have always wanted to drive an SRF3. I think that they, and especially now that they have brought on these more powerful engines and now they're running sequential transmissions um you know they're running the awesome hoosier race tires these cars are fast oh yeah so as a production driver i've been watching these guys so i've got a i've got this bmw and e-production that goes down the straight way faster than those guys do and their lap times are literally right on top of mine. So these cars have become, you have to realize, I grew up in the 80s when they were running them as sports Renaults, and literally the bodies are the same. Oh, yeah. Like they look the same as in the 80s, right? But underneath, these things are serious race cars. So, you know, Eric sold his car last fall. And I'm not really, I'm not running the BMW this year. And so we thought to ourselves, you know what we should do? Go run some SRF3s at Hallett. Let's call Scott Stevens at Hallett. And Scott's the guy that owns Hallett and runs the Hallett race shop there. He's got two rental SRF3s. They both have the Sative sequential transmissions in them. Um, and if these guys don't know how to set up a car for uh, Hallett, I don't know who else, who could. Sure. Because sure. it's at the track. So it, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. So Eric and I have no delusions that we can run with the Denny Striplings of the world when it comes to jumping into an SRF3 in our very first weekend. And Denny's going to be there, which is going to be fun. And Grayson Strathman, who's, who's a great kid from Topeka, who's also really fast. But uh, we're looking forward to be, I, I think it's 28 SRFs, SRF3s at, at Hallett this weekend. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, Hallett's 1.8 miles yeah. for one lap. Yeah. So you think about that compared to like VIR, 
it might as well be a 50 plus <laughs> SRF field. So, so we're really so looking forward to this. My first race ever was in a spec, a, spec, a sports Renault. So, and back in the day before we had, you know, regularly 30 car fields in, in sports Renault, you know, you'd get a big field for like the June sprints, but uh, your normal regional races, there'd be, you know, five or 10 of them. And sports Renaults ran regularly with the production cars. That was the way they grouped the classes together. And, you know, the production cars would blow past us in, in the straight lines. And then we'd catch right back up to them in the twisty bits. And we were the biggest frustration. The production car guys hated us because they couldn't see us because we were so far down low. And um, it was uh, it was always a big struggle. But you're absolutely right. You know, they make power and their quickness in way different ways. But uh, but uh, and I uh, you may have no delusions of grand. So is it just you and Eric racing against each other this weekend? Because, I mean, I know you guys are good friends. Um, well, in our in our own minds, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But no, I mean, obviously, we're going to be out there with everybody else. Sure. But uh, you're you're absolutely right. It's kind of funny you mention that because back in the early '90s, you know, when my dad was running G production in his MGA, yep, the sports Renaults were slower than a G production MGA. Yeah, and these days. They are ridiculously fast. Yep, absolutely. So, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So Hallett Motor Racing Circuit. I've not been there before, so this will be my first time. I'm looking forward to it. Um, 1.9 miles, 1.8 miles. What? Um, what's the? What's the quick? You know, what's the way to do this? Well, like Tony Abe always says, more gas, less brake. That's the key. Sure. <laughs> um, so Hallett is a very low top speed. Um, say in a, in an SRF, and I'm going to guess here, it's probably 105 miles an hour. Okay. Top speed. But you have a 95 mile an hour turn one. So like you were, like you were mentioning, you, you were talking about Blackhawk. I would say the Blackhawk is very similar, except for Hallett has some pretty serious elevation. Sure. And uh, it's an old school track. I believe it was built in the 70s. And it's your typical old school club racing track. It is a, it's an awesome bullring, perfect, about three cars wide road course. It, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful track. Is there a particular um, setup that you need to go for? Well, here's what I can tell you about Hallett. And I've said this to my customers for years. If, if you want to come to Hallett, if you can make your brakes work at Hallett, and if you can make your car handle at Hallett, your car will pretty much work everywhere. Because the track's got everything. It's got high-speed corners, low-speed corners, severe braking and lots of elevation. And in the middle of all of that is a track that's maybe not butter smooth. So how it literally has everything if you want to see if your car can can run. I mean I I've I've said it for years. If you're if your car can be fast at how it can be fast everywhere. And some of our fastest racers run at Hallett and they are fast there and they are fast everywhere. You look at Matt Reynolds and Jim Drago, Danny Stripling, um, and I, you know, you can go class to class, sure. but it's, it's, it's the perfect club racetrack of old. Nice. I, I, I hear everybody who's been there just rave about it. Um, obviously it's, it's, it's maybe hard to get to. It's in the middle of the country. Not a lot of people would, would make call this a destination track. Um, but I've I've never heard anybody who's raced there say a bad thing about it. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Is there a particular corner that you've got to get right to make your lap fast there? So if you've never been to Hallett, the key uh, there's two keys to the track. When you come up into turn four, so you'll come through turn one very fast, up over a big hill, down into turn two, which is very, very tight. 
Getting out of turn two is very key, heading up the hill towards turn four. Turn four, the turn four or five complex is very, very fast and it is absolutely blind. So the key to this corner is to be all the way to the left as you come up the hill and turning in later than you would think because when you get to the very top of the crest of the hill in between four and five, you need to be all the way to the right. And so if anybody's paying attention, remember this, super late in four, by the time you get to the top of the hill, be all the way to the right, and it's a quick transition. And I mean, into five, down the hill towards six. The other really um, high pressure corner is the entry into what everybody knows as the bench. So that's going to be turn seven. And it is pretty much flat out in a spec Miata. Anything faster than a spec Miata, it's very sketchy. It's a very fast left-hander into a crest where all you can see is the sky into a very hard break zone to come out of the bitch. So um, if you can get those two corners down, you can you can do pretty well on pallet. Is that uh, section just a faith, hope, and love kind of situation? <laughs> some of it is. I mean, a, a lot of it is going to be track knowledge. Like, if you've never been there and you don't know. So back in the old days, as you were coming into the entry into turn seven, as you crested into the corner, there was actually, so you have to realize, Hallett is right on Interstate 412. And there was an old billboard that had three posts, old posts sticking up on the interstate. And as you turned into the corner, if you would go right between those posts, you could go straight over the hill and pretty much leave yourself flat on the gas. And when the car landed, you could hit the brakes and make the corner. I don't know that that's still there, although I think it may be. You know, I've done so many laps at Hallett that I don't necessarily need that anymore. Right. But I keep that in mind if you're approaching turn seven. It's very blind and it's very fast and it's one of the best corners in racing. It kind of reminds me of the first time I, I had, uh, I raced at Road America. And, you know, the kink is something that you know you can do flat out or, you know, the car can do flat out. <laughs> you don't know you can do it flat out until, and, and it took me. 25 laps before I really I think I did it once a little earlier but by lap 25 I'm like okay I got this um it kind of sounds like you need a bunch of laps there to get that section and once you get it you probably got it right well part of the deal is at Hallett is it's not a super high top speed so maybe you're coming into there like you're coming into the kink and it's funny you mentioned that because Eric Prill and I used to talk about this so our goal was always for our minimum speed in the kink to be 112 to 114 miles an hour. And this is in a production car, right? whether it's a Miata or a BMW. At Hallett, our speeds are so much lower, it's more like being in a go-kart track. It's more like, um, you know, it all comes at you so much faster. You're going to find that you get no rest. You know, you get a little bit of rest on the front straight, but there is no rest at Hallett. Right. And by the right. way, speaking of the front straight, when they repaved the track, they still did not take out the big bump coming onto the front straight. So as you track out onto the front straight at Hallett, you're going to probably end up coming over to the left a quarter of a car length so your car doesn't bottom out. So think about that as well. So little nuances, these little nuances that all these tracks have, and I can talk about it at, at you know 50 different tracks, but Hallett is, to me, a top five track in this country. And I've been basically to all of them. Yeah. So it's one of the best, you know, it's, it's funny um, nuances and you, you talk about that, you and all these different tracks. And um, that's why we do the show or the preview shows here is because, you know, every track has their thing. And it's, it's been interesting to me how many people have come up to me after doing one of these shows um, who let's say already have had lots of experience on a particular track. And said, "Oh wait, your guest said something that I hadn't thought of, even though I've got all these laps." 
and I, I'm, I'm quicker now by two tenths or three tenths or whatever. What, you know, and, and so, you know, I, I, I talk about this like it's for somebody who's never been there before. Uh, but as I've learned, the info that we do on these preview shows help people who have been there before, too. So uh, that's one of the things I enjoy uh, with doing these. So um, cool. Any, anything else we should know about Hallett before we start wrapping this thing up? I mean, it's it's it, the the weather looks amazing for this weekend. Like I was saying earlier, it looks like it's going to be. I mean, it might be in the upper 30s in the morning, but it's going to warm up pretty quickly. And honestly, at Hallett, if you can have a weekend that doesn't look like the wind's going to be blowing 60 miles an hour, and it looks like this weekend's going to be one of those weekends. And so, um, so when it comes to Hallett, um, a lot of people think about parking. Right when you get to a track, Hallett opens up for people that are testing on Friday, which I know there's a bunch of people testing. You can get into the track at five o'clock tomorrow night, which is Thursday. If you're planning on getting there and you're looking for a particular spot, be there at four to four thirty, because uh, Hallett's a little bit of a land rush. The reason being, it's an old school club track. Right. They don't have miles of pavement with miles of plugins. Um, my personal favorite spot is all the way through the paddock, down the hill, down by the pond. It's it's just a beautiful place to be, and and uh, you, you'll love going to Hallett. It's it's one of the best club racing old school racetracks there is. Where where do I got to go for dinner on Friday night? So here's the kicker. People love to ask me this kind of stuff. So <laughs> I have an RV. Oh. I go to the racetrack and I don't leave. Um, so I know that there's a couple places in Cleveland that guys talk about. Um, you have to realize we're in the middle of a bit of nowhere in, I know. In, uh, in, in Oklahoma. So obviously we're only about 30 minutes from Tulsa. It's more like an hour to Oklahoma City. So we're kind of in between Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Um, but I can tell you this, they also have a wonderful, probably the best that I've ever been to Saturday night dinner oh, at cool. the track. Oh, nice. Don't miss that. Um, also want to remind folks. Who are, yeah, also want to remind folks who are going, there's uh if you're coming from Tulsa, uh there's a detour on the road that leads into the racetrack and the exit that you normally take is not available this weekend. There's information about how to deal with that detour. Uh, if you go to secacom slash super tour, click on the Hallett link. I believe it's right at the top of the list of all the things you can do, like the entry list and the subs and everything. I think it says detour information or arrival information. Click on that. Uh, so it'll save you maybe a half hour from if you think you can go the right way, you can't go the right way. So, um, Well, and if, if you get off at the, what they call the Cleveland exit, um, it's a great little two-lane road. You get to see a little bit of the Oklahoma landscape, and it'll drop you right into Hallett. So right. it's a great – we used to actually gum cross-country from Topeka and go that way. So it's a great way to go. Great. Cool. Um, anybody you want to thank before we head out? I know you've already gone through a bunch of folks. Any any sponsors, any, any friends, anybody you want to thank? Oh, how much more time do you have? So, uh, yeah, <laughs> man. Um, you know, Sunoco's been like my biggest sponsor over the last few years. They've come on and they, and you know, and they helped me out not only with the JPM YouTube channel. If you haven't seen that, check that out. But uh, they helped me out in so many ways and they help all of my customers. And on top of that, they make the best racing fuel there is. So um, we run Sunoco Race Fuel and, and, and I run uh, – all I all I run and all my customers run is Carbotech racing brakes and Hoosier race tires and uh, Amsoil fluids and we can go on and on. You know, my wife is my best uh, person in the world um, to uh, you know be the big supporter that she is in our life. And uh, yeah, cool. Life couldn't be much better for me than it is right now. And you're still not going to tell me what the next race car is, right? No. I can't. <laughs> I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. Maybe next year. Absolutely. Um, it's not, well, it is often because we've talked to some really fantastic drivers and some fantastic people. 
Um, but I think it's this right, is an, an un, unequivocal fact that uh, this last 50 minutes I've been talking with a future SECA Hall of Famer here um, between what you've done on the track and what you're doing for your customers and, and for the production classes. Uh, when the time comes, uh, you're going to get one of those plaques and, and have to give a speech. And uh, um, it's just been a, a real treat to get a chance to catch up and talk with you. So thank you for taking the time with us tonight. Well, I appreciate it. And I've got a couple of uh, very important people with me uh -oh. that can step their faces in sure. right now. Sure. One being my wife right here, Jamie. There we go. As you can see how beautiful she is. Yes. And uh, Eric Frill's here too. Oh so. my God. <laughs> He's been here trolling hey, us the whole time. Oh yeah. We've been watching. I've been trying to keep him quiet, but. <laughs> so Eric, are you going to tell me what he's driving next year? I have no idea. Uh, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to see all of you on on Friday and Saturday, so I look forward to it. Looking forward to it, Brian. Thank you. All right. See you then. Very good. Very good. That's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. Uh, we have a new episode every Tuesday, Wednesday night, we live go. on YouTube. And then uh, we have our replays on Fridays. So uh, that's on the Racing Wire Podcast Network. And uh, we do this every week. Um, it'd be great if you'd leave us a comment on our social medias if it's a good comment if it's a bad comment uh, go put it on Eric Prill's page um, give him the bad comment stuff just kidding Eric uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter it's Racing Wire Net there's a new episode every week I'm Brian Belansky have yourself a fantastic weekend and go play with cars Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.